1: Today, you will be hearing me talk to a dad, Clint Hatton. Clint is an author, motivational speaker, personal development and leadership coach, and the founder of Big Bold Brave in McKinney, Texas. Clint recently published his first book, Big Bold Brave, How to Live Courageously in a Risky World. It was inspired by the way his oldest son lived his life. Gabriel achieved his goal of becoming a licensed pilot at the age of 17. He died in a tragic plane crash while living his dream just shy of his 18th birthday. His legacy is carried on by the Hatton family. I'm not going to share anything else at this point except to remind you that my recording studio is the Hope Mobile, so you get to hear whatever is going on in my background. So with that, Dave, let's play my fascinating talk with Clint. Well, hi, Clint. Thank you for joining me and my listeners today. I'm very glad to have you here with me.
0: Hi, Laura. I'm glad to be with you, too. I've been looking forward to this.
1: Yeah, we had to reschedule this once. I think it was on my end, but we're together now. So I always like to start out with asking our guests how they became part of this unwanted club that has a lifelong membership so, Clint, can you please share yeah. Gabriela and your story with us?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love the way you you uh, frame that because that's that's how I often describe it as well. As so you know, it's a club that nobody ever wants to join, didn't choose to join,
1: mm-hmm. um, but
0: you find yourself being a part of it. And so, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, our story started a little over three years ago, um, and effectively, what happened was my oldest son. I have three boys. I've been married almost twenty years to my beautiful bride, and. Uh, three boys Gabriel was the oldest and from a very early age he had a passion to become a pilot he went up in a small plane with his uncle Danny when he was like eight years old
1: mm-hmm. and just
0: never let go of it he just had it in his veins almost instantly and so you know like a lot of parents we <laughs> didn't know if that was going to fade at right, some point right. if he, you know want to be an NFL player or you know a CEO <laughs> or something you know a week later but but he held on to it and so you know, one of the things that we felt was really important for our kids is to, you know, any, any dreams that they had that, you know, were really in their heart, we want to be able to support that. So, you know, by the time he was 14, he entered into, uh, which was his freshman year, mm. he entered into a four-year aviation program on the educational side of things that we happen to have here in the school district we're in near Dallas. And then uh, on top of that, he joined a club called Tango 31 Aero Club. And it's a it's a small airport club that was founded by a gentleman who just had a love for teenagers. It's, it, it was all for teenagers
1: hmm.
0: uh, that you know, had a passion for the avi- aviation industry, whether they wanted to be a mechanic or whether they want to be a pilot. Hmm. And so he joined that. And, you know, to kind of shorten the story, the only way you were ever going to get to fly was through sweat equity. So he worked really hard. You know, they they did all kinds of stuff. They painted planes. They did oil changes. Eventually, they got to where they did complete overhauls and just about anything you can imagine that would be done with a plane, he taught them. And then by the time he was 16, he was old enough to have the opportunity to start going up with a flight instructor. So he started his dream of flying. Mm. And uh, actually, so, <laughs> I like to share this part because I always found it so kind of surreal, but he he actually soloed Laura before he even had his driver's license. So oh, nice. that was, <laughs> yeah, that was, uh. as a parent, that was kind of a strange thing,
1: <laughs> but
0: anyway, so he started flying, you know, and, and just took to it, you know, really quickly and was really good actually. And so by the time he was 17 years old, uh, which is the youngest you can be and actually even apply for a private pilot's license. So at 17, he studied, you know, this book that you know, is about eight inches thick and <laughs> took the written exam and passed it the first time and went uh-huh. up on his check ride and passed that the first time and boom, uh-huh. he, you know, you he, he just dream of becoming a licensed pilot so he was on his way, you know, and life was good and, you know, it was exciting. And, you know, just, I mean, we all have ups and downs and and bumps and bruises along the way. Right. But all in all, we just felt like, gosh, things are just great for him, you know, and the world was his oyster, if I could say it that Mm -hmm. way. And then on September 23rd of 2019, he was on a trip. He had a friend, a really good dear friend of his, that she was needing to get back to the University of Arkansas, which is you know a couple hours north of us uh, in, in a plane. And so he needed the hour, so he you know, jumped in, took her up there. Uh, they arrived safely. Everything was good. And then on the return trip, he was about 20 minutes out of Fayetteville and went through a little mountainous region. And uh, ultimately, the NTSB is the one who does the investigations for all plane crashes of every kind Okay. And about two it took two years to get that report which is oh, kind my. of typical we knew that was going to happen oh, wow. but they ruled that he suffered from spatial disorientation which is one of the most common things that can happen to a pilot and especially if it ends in you know a death your listeners are probably familiar with it even if they don't know the term because Kobe Bryant the famous basketball player mm-hmm. is helicopter pilot that's what they ruled in that crash as well so, you know, he had a multi millionaire aircraft and was, you know,
1: mm. much more
0: experienced, and it still happened. Right, now. right. So it happened, you know, and he lost his life chasing mm. his dream. And so we, we instantly, you know, as you well know, um, in an instant, our world came, no pun intended, crashing down. And we mm. were suddenly in a club we never wanted to join.
1: Wow. And he was still 17 or was he 18 by then?
0: He was about three months shy of his 18th birthday.
1: Wow. That's quite the story. And that's, I think that's one of those things that you could just torment yourself with all the what ifs and the whys on helping him follow his dream and to be able to be doing something like that at such a young age. Um, (laughs) Wow, boy, you could really send yourself spiraling down into darkness on that one, blaming yourself for something that was just (laughs) helping him follow his dream. So, yeah. Clint, yeah, I I know the next morning, the very next morning, you had the extremely painful task of telling your other two boys what had happened to their older brother. And you knew immediately that you needed some sort of an anchor for you and for your family, which meant making some decisions right then and there while you were all sitting together in this shocking pain can you share with us what your conversation with them was like?
0: yes I, I would love to do that and then I have a comment on what you just said too, because I think that was a you know obviously a very powerful observation, you know, because it is something that you could have really gone down a spiral just thinking on the what if so i'm I'm hoping we can come back to that okay. but yep. um you know i I think I think you know Laura for us, just because of how sensitive this topic is and the pain that I still feel, and I'm sure you still feel, and many of mm-hmm. your listeners, I want to be really sensitive before I start out on this. You know, because I do think, you know, I was a pastor for 17 years, have helped a lot of people with a lot of different types of loss and pain over the years, including, you know, losing a child, losing a loved one. And so I do feel like I had a little bit of an advantage that not everybody does. And what I mean by that, not with the pain, right. there is no advantage for the right, pain. Right, right, yes. <laughs> it's, it was devastating mm-hmm. and is devastating. Um, but it, I do feel like I had the advantage in the sense that, you know, I had seen and, and in some cases personally tried to walk through uh, a situation like this, not not a plane crash, but, you know, losing someone mm-hmm. suddenly. And I just over the years just saw some patterns and some things that ultimately I think um just didn't serve them very well and kind of led mm-hmm. them to going down that spiral and in some cases, as you know it's i mean it is it's a devastating blow for for everyone, and you see marriages sometimes not make it you mm-hmm. see um, families, you know, with extended, if it's like we had, we have two other boys. So Mm -hmm. those situations where things don't go well, you know?
1: Um,
0: so, so I think I wanted to start with that just because it's, I don't think it was just what I'm about to share that I think were a couple of really healthy things we did, but it was also an awareness that when we talk about these things, Uh how important and how intentional we were going to have to be. Because it it was it was still going to be really hard. Uh So so with that um, with that foundation, you know the the morning um, it happened. You know the boys, uh, Joel and Liam are my two other boys. They're now eighteen and thirteen, but they were 14th time they slept through the night. We did not wake them up. It was a long hellish night for us Mm -hmm. waiting to find out, you know, we knew at around eight o'clock that night he went down and it wasn't until roughly three 30 in the morning Mm -hmm. that we got the official word from the corner. And I'm sharing, I'm sharing your listeners, a lot of ebbs and flows, a lot of confusion on the information we were getting and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But ultimately at three 30, it was official that he was definitely gone. And and our, you know, our prayers for, for right. that were no longer
1: mm-hmm.
0: valid, you know? So we let them sleep, you know? And um, I think that gave me a little bit of time too to just weep and, you know, talk it through with my wife. My in-laws actually drove all the way from where they live. They live about an hour away. So they were already here in our home by the time the boys got up too. Mm. So when, when we sat down, I just, you know, at that point being very candid with you, Lord. I wasn't in a moment of prayer. Like I didn't say, okay, boys, let's pray first.
1: Um, (laughs) Uh And the
0: reason I bring that up is we'd been praying all night. Sure. You know, we were praying and declaring scriptures and worshiping and, you know, doing all all that stuff throughout the night. Mm -hmm. So I just, I just felt like the Lord met me in that real deep, searing, shocking pain of the Mm. initial news, you know, and I really felt like he gave me the guide. You know, the, the compass Mm -hmm. is the word I've been using most. Mm -hmm. And that was, I said, okay, boys said, here's how we're going to live this out. You know, we only, in, in my experience, we only have two choices. We can choose to focus on the tragedy of it you know, the crash itself, that he died, you know, flying a plane and, and then all of the other obvious things that, you know, you're going to miss birthdays and holidays, Mm -hmm. and milestones and all those things. And not that we weren't going to feel through those because we do every single time they come around. But I just said, you know, if, if our focus is on the tragedy, then we are going to be shadows of who we were created to be. And we're probably going to struggle Mm. But I think there's a second choice. And the second choice is we're going to choose life. And what that meant for me, because, you know, as, as believers, you know, we're all familiar with the scripture, choose life or death, right. or but, but what that meant to me, Laura was, I said, we are going to choose to honor the way he lived.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Not that we're not going to think about the tragedy, not, not that we're never going to think about the crash or anything. Cause mm-hmm. that's nonsense. Of course we right. will. Right. Right. But But we're going to keep our focus on celebrating how he lived his life because he attacked life. He was adventurous, you know. I I joke now, people are enamored with T-shirts with sayings on it, right? And Mm -hmm. if I was gonna if I was gonna make one for him, it would have been "What's next?" because that's just how Ah. he was, you know. (laughs) Uh Everything was adventure. Anything he wanted to do, you know, he was gonna make it happen, you know. And so I just told him, I said, the only way we can really honor him truly Mm -hmm. and, and, and God is to live our lives the same way, Mm
1: -hmm. you know, not doing
0: the things he did,
1: but
0: just just really living life to the fullest.
1: Right. And I, that sounds so easy, but it's not. (laughs) I mean, it's like, you have to make that choice and that decision over and over again. It wasn't just a one-time decision. And I, I, I look at it in, in a sense that So often as parents, we get stuck in the tragedy of our child's death and we forget that that was a moment in time. It was a horrible moment in time. But before that moment in time, they had a life and Gabriel had almost 18 years of life. My daughter had 29 years of life. Some had 36, some had six, three. Some didn't even have life outside the womb. Right. Right. But there, raised raised well. yeah. but there was life, but there was life. And so to make that choice to live in a way that honors our child's life, uh, really can make a difference. And let's go ahead and circle back to that, talking about that spiraling down. If we just, I mean, we mm-hmm. can beat ourselves up with blaming ourselves and, and we know where that comes from. That that's, The enemy, we're in such a dark, vulnerable place. The enemy is going to do anything he can to keep us in sucked into his darkness. So how do you how do you battle that? How do you fight that?
0: Well, I think um, there was there was a part two to that morning, because as you very accurately described, just because we said we were going to choose life didn't mean that, oh, no, this is going to be a cakewalk. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, so part two that morning was, is I, I basically we made a pact as a family. and I said, boys, you know, the other side of this situation we find ourselves in is none of us know me included what grieving is going to be like, you know, we're not going to know from day to day and probably early on, and even hour to hour when mm-hmm. we're going to feel really sad, when we're going to feel angry, when we're going to potentially be on the verge of fighting depression, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm those emotions were that would come and and eventually they all come, you know? And so I said, you know, so here's, here's how we're going to handle that. We're going to agree that we are going to do this together as a family. And what that's going to look like is no matter what any one of us at any given time is feeling, it's okay. And so, you know, if it's me and I'm feeling sad and I'm, and I'm crying, I'm going to cry or mom is going to cry. And we're not going to try and, you know, hold each other like so often you sometimes see, you know, and I see this a lot with other believers at times where they don't want somebody to feel the pain. So they'll, you know, hold on and say, you know, oh, don't, don't cry. Don't cry. It's It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Okay. And, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and it's very well meaning, you know, I don't, I don't believe right. anybody that does that is as being spirited by any stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it's just not helpful because you really need to be able to process through those emotions. Yes. So, so we agreed on that, Laura. And I think that was huge, you know, um, and I told them, even though they were only nine and 14 at the time, I really felt like they needed to the, to the level that they could at their age of maturity,
1: mm-hmm. be a
0: part of that. And it wasn't a one-way street. So specifically yeah. I said, you know, listen, so if you're feeling whatever you're feeling any given day,
1: mm-hmm. you need
0: to know it's okay. And we can talk through it, even if you're angry, even, you know. Mm-hmm. Whatever. but you need to know we're, we're going to do the same thing. And Emerald's and I agreed to do that. You know, it wasn't a one-way street where, okay, boys, you need to do that, but then we're never going to show you what we're going through. We're going to go behind closed right. doors and cry there. So you don't know what we're doing and, you know, mm-hmm. try to look strong, you know, especially as the man. Mm-hmm. that's not how we walk this out. So again, you know, to, to your point earlier, this was no perfect thing. We're not perfect. And so, you know, there were some times where maybe one of us went a couple of days or a week and carried something on our own for a little bit, trying to process through it. But we got to where we were really good at asking what I like to now call courageous conversations, which is, you know, in, in a case like this, the willingness to ask that hard question, are you okay today? Hmm. and not assume, you know, the answer, you know, right. Because as we know, we, we can hide it sometimes, you know, sometimes we may look like we're happy, go lucky. Oh and yeah. We're inside.
1: really good at that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely.
0: So, so we, we, you know, we did that too. And so um, I think I, I can't remember how you said it a minute ago, but really the reason why I think that's been such a healthy process and has worked for us is because there are challenges and we do, fall. And we do have hard times and hard days, but it just gave us something to, uh, quickly recalibrate back to our original intention of, but we're going to choose life. We're going to live, you know, we're going to live for Gabriel by living ourselves, you know? So it was something that just would kind of take us, you know, back to where we needed to be. Um, and then, you know, to address your question of, that potential spiral and the big why question, right? Because that's uh-huh. the question that everybody has to face on some level, right? You know, the thoughts going to occur to you, why uh-huh. me, it, that's just human nature. But, you know, I think, and, and I'm, and I'm glad we're having this conversation that I'm three years down or three plus years down the road, because I think I have better language for it now
1: uh-huh. than I
0: did. Um, Cause for me, and I'm only speaking for me personally. I I didn't really have a lot of battles with why, and my reasoning for that is simply, you know, without going into you know too much detail to get off in the weeds on on how he became a pilot, there was a lot of prayer that went into that. There was a lot of favor that went into that. Mm. You know, we didn't we didn't even have the, the money. I mean, it can cost. 10, oh, 15, I, I was thinking of that while you more. were
1: actually talking. Yeah. I'm thinking, oh wow, <laughs> yeah, I, I did have that thought. Absolutely,
0: mm-hmm. and we didn't we didn't have that kind of money at that time, and and so you know there was a lot of favor involved, and he ended up finding this club, and ulti- ultimately, just to give you an idea, he earned his own thousand dollar scholarship from an American airline uh, scholarship for teenagers, and then with all the the things that Kevin is his mentor put in place for that club. He had volunteer um, flight instructors. Mm. They got their fuel at wholesale. I mean, there was, there was companies that donated certain things because Hmm. it was a club for kids. Yeah. We literally only spent a little over $300 out of our own pocket. And that (laughs) was just for his exam.
1: Wow. So,
0: so my point is that there was a lot of favor that went into him even being able to get in a plane, let alone eventually earn and start flying and literally living his dream. Mm-hmm. So for me, the one thing I've seen that's happened over the years, and I just, I just refuse it in my own life, not just in this situation, mm-hmm. but in any situation, we knew God had opened the doors for him to do that. So right. to change the narrative now, because we lost him, and then mm-hmm. start to, you know, second guess ourselves and blame ourselves or, or the mentor or mm-hmm. you know whoever else would have been completely revisionist history, you mm-hmm. know, in my opinion. Right. So, so that part I didn't really struggle with, but there, but there were a few times, and I know my wife and I've had this conversation where she probably struggled with the question why a little bit more. And so my new language for it is just this, and it's just a question and I would pose it to any of your listeners, you know, in the most, in the most delicate, sincere way, um, just to consider this, if you're still struggling with why, when when I think of asking the question, why for losing my son, tell me what answer is sufficient. Exactly. For me, there, there isn't Mm -hmm. an answer on this side of eternity. That's good enough.
1: I, I 100% agree. And I, the Lord showed me several years ago. When when our child asks us why, if we said no to something, they're not asking why because they want to know the answer. They want to know why so that they can argue with you why your reason isn't good enough. If you were to give them a reason why, they're not like, oh, thank you, mom. Thank you, dad. I understand. And they go on their merry way. They want to argue our why isn't good enough. I think it's the same thing with God. If he were to tell us why in our finite minds. Here on this earth, without our view of eternity, without God's, you know, full picture, it's not a good enough reason. The answer to our why is not going to give us peace, is it?
0: No. And so that's, you know, for me, it really does kind of end there is so, because then I think there's a follow up question, you know, if if I were to allow why to, to still be there and be something that just continues to beat me up and keep me locked is if if there's no answer that's sufficient, then why am I still asking that question?
1: Mm-hmm. that's That's a good point. That's a really good point. <laughs> but there's something that some parents just have a hard time turning that corner. And I wonder if some of it is goes back to those first couple of things that you kind of set in place that very within the first twenty four hours when Gabriel passed the whole thing of choosing choosing to stay stuck in the death, in the moment of death, and that event, or choosing life and choosing, no matter what this grief looks like, that we're going to continue to choose life. It's not that we're not going to grieve. Right. Because I, I think of so many parents, even as you were talking, I could hear some parents, uh, just because I hear from so many through e- emails and correspondence and things, you're talking about you know, you only paid out of your own pocket $300 for this extremely expensive hobby. <laughs> okay. And could have been a career of his. I mean, we right. don't know at this point. And I, I, can, I just hear parents saying, so you're like glad you're saying you're blessed that you only had to pay $300 for your son to die. Sure. I mean, that's just where that darkness takes us to that sure. kind of anger and bitterness.
0: Right. No, I I mean, I, I totally understand that question. And even if somebody said that, you know, to my face, I, I wouldn't be offended by it. I understand, you know, mm-hmm. where that comes from. But again, you know, for us, it goes back to the value system that we've chosen. And that is, is no, it, it was $300 that allowed him to live his life to the fullest while he was here. You know,
1: right. for us,
0: it really is that simple. But again, I mean, you made the point you know i think sometimes when we're talking about this kind of a question or you know how we view it um the thought process there is that somehow that's you know equal to how much or how little pain we're going to experience mm-hmm. that's that's not the point at all right. we we've, we've got plenty of pain but we have found You know, one of the things I talk about a lot now is, is finding a way to give your pain a purpose.
1: That's exactly what I was going to ask you next. So yeah, go for that. Yeah. I was going to ask you that next.
0: Yeah. You know, ultimately what ended up happening, um, for me, and then I'll share a little bit is Amaryllis's expression of it is, you know, a little bit different than mine. Um, so I'll, I'll quickly get into that. You know, another thing that happened that morning of was we were contacted by local news media. There was a couple of TV stations. One was the local NBC affiliate that wanted to see if we would do an interview, you know, about his, his story. And can of course, you know, you, again, this is the more, yeah,
1: what was your, yeah. what was your reaction to that? I mean, how did you honestly, no. okay.
0: okay. <laughs> the answer was no. Cause I know you, know, you yeah. did. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. how, how do you
1: do that? Do you just numb I yourself did. to yeah. it? Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: Well, so, so the context I laid, if everybody, everybody listening to this can just kind of Keep the context we've already laid with how we started out that morning okay. with choosing life mm-hmm. and living for him. Just keep that in the back of your mind, you know, because um, the truth was when she called the, this particular one with NBC, when she called me and she was very sweet, very kind. So, you know, this this wasn't some, I don't know, more Obich moment or whatever, where you're talking mm-hmm. to somebody who's super insensitive. She was very sensitive and she was a believer. Mm. um, but you know, I, we were devastated. And so yeah. I just felt like there was no possible way that we could make it through an interview. So right. my answer was no, mm-hmm. but ultimately what happened is at the end of that call, she said, well, she goes, can I just say this one last thing? And I want you to just think about it. Just think about it is we're going to rep- I have to do a report on this story tonight. It's an assignment. Mm. If, if I do it without talking to you guys tonight, it's really nothing. It's not going to be anything more than just reporting how he died. Mm. If you'll let me and I'll come over to your house, Mm. you know, I'll walk you through it. You know, we can, we, we can go slow. I'll let you tell the story the way you want to tell it. And you can even include as much as your faith as you want to bring into it. Mm. And so I just said, thank you and hung up. And the answer was still no.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but then we ended up in a conversation by then, uh, my other father-in-law was, um, here as well. And so we all sat there as a family and I just kind of explained the conversation. Cause you know, I didn't have it on speakerphone. and he was the one that was the most surprising for a few different reasons, which we don't need to get into, but I would have <laughs> thought he was like, no way, you know, mm-hmm. but he, but he looked at me and he said, listen, you guys have talked about this morning about how you want to honor how he lived and you want to choose to focus on how he lived, he says, I know this would be really hard, but it seems like this is your first opportunity to do that. Mm. And, and I, and I knew he was right, but it was really hard. And so, you know, we did, obviously we we did agree to do the interview. um, And she was amazing. You know, she did a really, her name was Katie and she did a really beautiful job of just being delicate with the, uh, the, the situation itself, but ultimately what came out of that Laura, cause the, you know, the, the act of actually doing the interview was a complete blur as you can imagine, mm, you yeah. know, w- w- when she left, I couldn't even begin to tell you what we even talked about. Uh, you know, it was, um, and we weren't a mess through the whole time. There were, there were parts where we had to stop, but I just, it was just a blur, you know, mm-hmm. but what ended up happening was, is, you know, she did the segment, And um we watched it that night on the news because we wanted to see, you know, (laughs) yeah, did she follow through and all that? And it was about a three-minute segment and really beautifully done. It really, you know, did a a a really honorable job, you know, as much as you can (laughs) ram the life of a
1: almost 18-year-old
0: kid into just a couple of minutes or so. But you know, did a beautiful job of that, represented our faith in a really true way. And then what was interesting was at at the end, apparently during the interview, I had said something along the lines of, you know, Gabriel live big, bold and brave. I don't remember saying it. As I said, it was a total blur. Uh-huh. But when the segment aired at the end of it, she didn't choose to use the, the video portion of me saying that. Instead, she did a voiceover to close out the segment. And she said, Gabriel's parents encourage you to live your life like Gabriel. Big. Bold and brave, and so there, there. When hearing it back to me, there was something on that phrase, and so you know, it it, it was in in an instant. It just it felt like it had life on it. Hmm. To put it in the simplest mm-hmm. terms, now my personal development company is now called Big Bold Brave. The book is called Big Bold Brave. None of that came on the radar. You know, it wasn't the next week that I'm thinking, okay, Right now I've got, to, you know, none of that. It, <laughs> mm-hmm. it was just a family mantra. Again, just another tool. Mm. To, when we were feeling down, when we were feeling like we didn't want to get out of bed or didn't want to go to work or didn't want to eat or whatever, because all those things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just another tool. Like, mm-hmm. you know, okay, and we can we walk around every day going big, bold, brave, big, bold, brave. <laughs> but, you know, from time to time, we would, we would mm-hmm. say, you know what? We're going to live like Gabriel, big, bold, brave, you know? And Mm -hmm. so it was just another, again, tool that helped us. And then, you know, eventually after several months, I began to really feel like there was maybe something more to it. You know, ultimately I didn't start writing the book until it had been a little after two years, Mm -hmm. but, you know, part of the reason why I wrote it when I did, and this is not a direct comparison by any stretch, but COVID, you know, the world got hit by the pandemic months after Gabriel died. So we had, you know, him and then COVID now for us, and I'm I'm not, this is not a political statement at all, but for us, COVID was, are you kidding me? We lost our son, you know, right. and I know it was right. real and I, and I've, I've no people who lost family and I'm very sensitive of that, but for us, we already took the biggest right. blow we were ever going to take. Yes. So honestly, COVID was not our biggest pain, but you know, certainly recognized over the next two years just how much people have suffered, and many suffered loss of a loved one. Yes, mm-hmm. or they lost other things that are not equal, but you know, losing careers or marriages that employed. Right, just a lot of different forms mm-hmm. of of meaningful loss. You know, so that's why I ended up writing the book when I did because this is a book that certainly covers what I think are some really important keys to you know our grieving process in general. And it's not like we're over it, you know, it's only been right, three years. Right. But it's what we use, you know, um as, on sometimes a daily basis. But I wanted to write something that would bring people hope and and help them work through fears of all kinds and just all the things that were unleashed on our planet, you know, during these last couple of years. So the book is really more a manual for life and just getting through all kinds of ups and downs because that's what I feel like it is. Because at the end of the day, when you, you know, when someone asks me, how did you guys get through it? It's not one thing. And it's not even just the two things that we established that first morning. It's Mm -hmm. the value systems we've lived by for 20 plus years. It's mindsets that we have to recalibrate to because of what our beliefs tell us, you know, things Mm -hmm. like that.
1: It's yeah. The continual choice and Mm -hmm. It's like from day to day that whatever that choice is can be a totally different choice. You know, we're we're facing something totally different and we're making a totally different choice today to keep moving forward. Whatever that looks like. Sometimes moving forward can just be moving from the couch to the bed. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Yeah, and some days moving forward is getting out shopping. Some days moving forward is I can actually talk to somebody and give them hope. So, I mean, it's, it's every day it's different. Can I say this real quick? Because I just, what you just said Mm -hmm.
0: to me is so huge. It's a play on words, but to me, you just said moving forward. There's, to me, there's a massive difference between saying moving forward and moving on. And I know when people say moving on, they don't mean it necessarily this way, but moving on implies as if, well, that's just part of my life that's now in the past and it doesn't matter that Mm -hmm. we we didn't move on from Gabriel. There's a crater size hole that nobody else will ever fill on this side of eternity, but we did move forward. And that's why I love your wording. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Now you mentioned that your wife was doing something too to give purpose to her pain. Can you share that with us?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Cause there's some really, you know, cool ebbs and flows to that story, even though, you know, there's a part of our story that's um, and it's painful, but ultimately she had really discovered that she's a painter. She does, some really cool different types of abstract art with various mediums. So um, she had discovered that gift probably a year, maybe two before Gabriel passed away, but had only done a couple of things and it was mostly just, you know, the occasional hobby. So, but she was really good, <laughs> yeah. really. She's amazing. So, but what ended up happening was, is when, when he passed away, she put down the paint and the paint for a mm-hmm. while. It was probably now maybe I may be wrong on the math, but I want to say it was about eight months. It was it was a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was just something that was tough for her to pick up. Sure. And then ultimately, what ended up happening was and, and actually, the, the conversation that she had with a friend happened like the day or two after he passed, there was a friend who felt like during their and I they were either Studying the word, or they're in a time of worship. I, I'm, I'm sorry I, that I kind of forget the exact detail on that, but they felt like they saw this, like, you know, call the vision, call it whatever you want, but they mm-hmm. felt like they saw this scene where Gabriel was with the angel Gabriel, uh-huh. and they were having a conversation about, you know, being in heaven, and it was uh-huh. this beautiful scene and the, the colors, and like there was gold and, you know, all this stuff. So that was something that was expressed her. And in that moment, because it was only a couple of days into the, what I call the shock and off phase. That's what I call the really early stage. Right. Um, It was really healing in the moment, (laughs) Uh, not not healed and you're done, but healing. Right. Right.
1: Right. You know?
0: And so several months went by and she decided, you know, I feel like I'm going to paint something. And the inspiration was, was, because her friend had written it down as well. There was something about what she felt like she saw. She's like, I'm going to try and put something on canvas. Mm. And what was crazy, Laura, cause this has never happened since. And she's painted. She's done a lot of commission pieces. Now she's actually on the map. Now she was actually invited to do a very big international show here in Dallas this last year. So it's really taken off. Mm. But, but at that time, you know, she <laughs> it was still pretty new and, she, all she had painted was this background. So I know your listeners can't really see what that looked like, but just imagine it's literally just the base colors of a background, which were these beautiful blues and like a gold flake. And I leave the house and I go on like errands for like two hours and she hadn't started on the rest of the painting yet, which hers are like a painting and a sculpture all in one. Hmm. And so I came back two hours later and I was just checking on her. And I said, baby, how you doing? And she goes, she had this like stunned look on her face and she said, I think I'm done. I'm like, what? <laughs> you yeah. Know? You're done. You know, I'm like, okay. You know, And I see it. And she's like, yeah. And I, I wish I had a picture of it right now. It's the one, it's the one uh, piece of art that's never going to be for sale and it's on our mantle. Oh, sure. But it's these beautiful, really textured angel wings with that blue and gold background. And of course they're white and it's shiny and it's really, um, everybody's blown away when they see this particular painting and it was just beautiful, you know? And it was just, you know, we really felt like it was God's because again, her process hasn't been the same since. I mean, she's got to work at it, Uh but she really felt like God was just really breathing and, and, and doing art with her you know that day and and that's how she feels about it now every piece she does you know every piece she does has deep meaning it's got the scripture that goes along with it and all those things but that Mm. is that is her her art business is her version of giving her pain a purpose Mm -hmm. and 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 living big bold brave
1: yeah wow well I think we're going to start wrapping this up. This has been so good, Clint. I just really Thank appreciate you. your honesty and your vulnerability. And also, I guess, just making sure that we all know that this is your path because we're mm-hmm. all on our own path. Yep. So I think you've given us some tools, but that doesn't mean these tools are going to work for everyone. So we just pray it through and keep, yeah. keep going. This book how can people find out more about it or connect with you? What can you leave with us so people can connect with you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And if I could just say one quick thing to what you just said, because sure. you're so right that not you know not everybody's going to respond to the same thing, but I do want to say something I failed to say earlier, and that is is that you know there may be some that maybe didn't have the same reference point that I yes. did to know that we need to have some things in place, and if you're listening, maybe this isn't the right tool. But you need to know it's not over for you, and you can absolutely start a new healing process and and move into a new place, and God will help you with that. So you need to know, you know, if you if you've been a year, ten years, or twenty years, it's not too late, and the Lord can help you, you know, get to a healthier place if that's where you find yourself. As the book goes, you know, that what I'd like to uh, invite your listeners to do is on my website, which is Big Bold Brave all one word dot us. And for the sticklers out there, yes, I know it's dot us, <laughs> <laughs> but I chose that domain really intentionally because for me, the vision of big bull, brave, the mission of big bull, brave is about us mm, and collaborating mm-hmm. with people. And so, um, so it's big bull, brave. Us there. They can find, you know, my, my corporate speaking engagements and things that I do in that realm. Um, you know, the coaching philosophy, That I have. They can find the book there, of course. And then what I'd also encourage them to do is subscribe. This is new. I'm actually going to be coming out with a newsletter that I'm going to start publishing on uh, the first Friday of February. And it'll just be once weekly. I'm just one of those people that hates clutter. Mm -hmm. So it's only going to be once weekly. And (laughs) it's just going to be three very consistent things, not a ton of content, just mm-hmm. one thing that's a free tool that can help you with something today. Um, some things I love and then, you know, updates on where the mission is going. So it's going to be real brief. I'd love for them to connect with me there as now, well.
1: Now, Good. Now, when you say where the mission is going, what do you mean by yeah. that?
0: Yeah. So for me, this is much more than, you know, the book for me is a tool, uh, in two ways. One is it's, it's something that's going to help a lot of people. And I've already, Fortunately, you know, the book launch isn't until the first, but it's actually been for sale for a little while. And there's a lot of people who okay. read it. And I'm getting back incredible testimonies and healing. And the interesting thing is that people that are getting healed from things outside of necessarily losing a loved one too, which has been interesting. Hmm. But anyway, so that's my, my, first, you know, motive with the book. But the second is, is really, I want to create a movement. You know, I want to create a movement of people who just refuse to allow, you know, pain or loss or life's disappointments to, you know, cripple them from being able to live a life that serves others and brings value to the world. And and so, you know, the book really spells that out.
1: Yeah. I'm going to ask you, does your wife have a website? Because I have a feeling some mm-hmm. people might want to see her work. So what is her website? And I'll add that in the show notes as well.
0: Thank you. And I'll make sure you have that link because I will spell it out, but it's still not easy.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> because her name
0: is Amaryllis and almost everyone spells it wrong. So it's art by Amaryllis, all one word. So art, B-Y-A-M-A-R-I-L-L-Y-S. So by com.
1: Okay. All right. So I appreciate that. I really do. Oh yeah. So if you didn't get the spelling, just check with the show notes and click the link. (laughs) That's
0: right. right. Easier to click than try and recall that one. Uh, Yes.
1: Yes. So Clint, do you have any last thoughts or words of encouragement for the listeners?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I know, again, we, we know that we're all in a different space in time with, you know, trying to process these deep losses and, and so, you know, one thing you need to know is wherever you are in it, there's no shame in anything, nothing. Right. I mean, there's, there is one of the things that um, has been disappointing to me to see when I see certain people talk about grieving, they try to make it sound like it's some timetable with like the sand in the hourglass right? and then suddenly that sand just runs out and then you should be done by now, you know,
1: mm-hmm. and we can do and, that to and, ourselves too.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I just think that's incredibly unhealthy. I think it's incredibly untrue. You know, for me, the goal has never been to eliminate the pain of grieving. I believe that we will always have a measure of pain and I'm okay with that. And I'm actually, I'm actually, I actually embrace it because that pain represents the great love that I had for my son and the relationship that we had. So I would encourage your listeners if your frustration or shame has been not getting rid of the pain, maybe it's the wrong metric. Maybe that's not really the goal, but if that pain has kept you from living your life and really, you know, experiencing the other loved ones around you and the, and the opportunities that maybe God has for you, that it's kept you back, please do something new. If, if, you know, maybe you've reached out for a counselor, maybe call another one, maybe find a new one, maybe, reach out to a pastor or get a coach or whatever it is but i just encourage you don't give up there is there is life after this it's not the same but it can still bring you a lot of joy and a lot of fulfillment
1: yes yes thank you so much and i like to tell bereaved that your life can have meaning and purpose again and that's not in spite of your child's death right. but it's because of his or her life
0: love it absolutely so.
1: Thank you so much, Clint, and uh, I hope a lot of people reach out to you and get your book and connect with you. So blessings on you and your family. Thank you. What did you think of that? Pretty powerful stuff, wasn't it? Two things that really stood out to me was first, Clint realized how crucial it was going to be to make a decision to choose not to stay stuck in Gabriel's death but to do what they could to honor his life. We know that doesn't mean not to grieve. That would be impossible. But we can choose to focus on what is missing and keep allowing ourselves to be held under for the long term, or we can choose to learn how to live a life of meaning and purpose that honors our child. It is possible to do, and that is a choice that we get to make at some point. The other thing is along that same line in how Clint and his wife have both given their pain a purpose. We do not want to let our child's life be wasted, which is pretty much what we're doing when we are determined to remain stuck in the darkness of their death. And I'll even gently say, playing the victim card, we want everyone around us to know that we are a victim of our child's death and how devastating that is. I remember when Becca died, that became my identity. I wanted to introduce myself as, hi, I'm Laura, and my daughter died. I wanted everybody to know what kind of pain I was in. And we do get to a point where we start choosing that instead of choosing life and instead of choosing to honor our child's life. And I guess I feel that I need to maybe add one more thing that is important to remember, which is the fact that we are all on our own timeline. Remember asking God why won't help. Asking him how will. So do what you can to even ask God to help you to change your question if you feel stuck there. Be sure to ask God how to move through the painful darkness in the way that is best for you. If these weekly podcasts are a help to you, did you know you can also get a weekly email from me? It comes out each Wednesday and it's called A Weekly Word of Hope. It has a word of encouragement. It lets you know of an event or a resource available, and it also lets you know the topic of each week's podcast. To start receiving it, just go to gpshope.org slash hope. Just submit your name and your email address. We keep our email addresses private, and I rarely send out extra emails, so you don't have to worry about suddenly getting a bunch of spam emails, and you can easily unsubscribe when you no longer wish to receive them. That's gpshope.org slash hope. Now, if you want a chance for something more up close and personal with myself and Dave, check out our itinerary and our events on the website. If you see we are traveling your direction, please reach out to us. Send us an email at office at GPS hope. Org. We would love to get together with you over a meal in our travels or come and visit your support group. So just go to gpshope.org and go to the events tab and check out how you can meet up with Dave and myself either on the road or come to one of our events. Let's go ahead to this week's birthday segment. Ava Shaw was born on February 4th and is forever 20. Brenton Smith was born on February 10th and is forever 24. We celebrate the day these two came into the world. It will forever be a special day for these families. If you would like to have your child's birthday shared with the other listeners, I would be honored to do that. All you have to do is go to gpshope.org slash birthdays, Fill out that form, submit the information, and I will announce your child's birthday the week of his or her birthday. And this will also automatically add you to start receiving the Weekly Word of Hope emails if you aren't receiving those yet. I know we would all like to know why God allows such terrible things to happen. We might even ask, why did He even create this world? knowing how these corrupt, evil, and horrible things would happen. Why didn't he just start us out in heaven? Why do we have to live here first? Something I recently realized is that starting out in heaven is not a guarantee of anything either. I mean, look at Lucifer and one-third of the angels. They lived in God's glory, and they rebelled. They thought they could do things better. They wanted the attention that God was getting. So How can we really know how good God really is if we can't be touched by rebellion and evil? Am I making sense here? We can see the difference between good and evil. The angels, they didn't see that. All they saw was the goodness of God until Lucifer decided to do things his own way. And that's when there became a division of good and evil because we get to see the difference between good and evil, and so we get to choose. And the question is, are we going to believe the same lies the enemy is still telling mankind that he did way back with Adam and Eve, that God is not good, and he really doesn't care, and he really doesn't mean what he says. God proved that is not the case by sending his own son to be one of us and to be sacrificed as the payment for your sin, for my sin, the sins of our children who are with him now. His son was beaten beyond recognition and then hung on an execution stake to take not just away our sin, but to take our guilt and our shame. God proved how good he is and how much he loves us by sending his son. And if you're doubting that, It means you are listening to the lies of the enemy, and you don't want to be on his playing field when you are in this much pain and vulnerable to his attacks. God is so good that he sent his son to die a torturous death so that we could be with our children beyond this earth but forever. While we're still here without our children, we all, can learn to live a life of meaning and purpose again. It might take a while, longer than you want it to or you think it should, but it can be done and you're not alone. We are doing this together. So be sure to hold on. Pain eases. There is hope.